Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts and the fifth chapter. Uh, While you're turning there, let me do a quick poll here. How many of you put up your Christmas tree on Thanksgiving weekend? Okay. How many uh, put up your Christmas tree after Thanksgiving weekend? Okay. All right, so about about a 50-50 split. And uh, the reason why I mention that is because um, my wife celebrates Christmas year-round. And so she starts as early as she can with all the Christmas uh, preparations and decorations and those kinds of things. And uh, so this morning you may be wondering, well, what's wrong with you, Pastor? Why aren't you preaching a Christmas text this morning? And um, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm defenseless, but I do want you to know that this morning what we're going to do is we're going to continue a message in the series we've been in through the book of Acts, the first seven chapters, and the series is entitled, It's Your Move. But I do want to also let you know, next Sunday we'll be zeroing in on a Christmas message, and then we have special Christmas Eve service and service on Christmas Day that you'll want to be a part of, and then also... um, We'll kick off the new year, and we're actually going to take a three-week break from this series, and we'll resume the second week in January. So just to let you know what's coming. In today's message, God gives us a warning. Now, if you're driving your car, you come along, and you see a sign like when I drive down out of uh, uh, Murfreesboro toward, uh, uh, where am I driving? Shelbyville. (laughs) When I'm driving towards Shelbyville from Murfreesboro, uh, there's a, a place where you make the turn on the uh, little bypass from Shelbyville to the road where you get over and you take it to Tullahoma. And there's a big old barrier there. And basically the barrier is there because if you ignore that barrier, you're going to be going into head, head come, you know, headlong traffic right into it. And so there's a warning that's put there that basically tells us, don't go this way. Now, we have a great God, a God who loves us very much, and he speaks to us, and at times he holds up a hand and he says, don't go there. That'll be harmful to you. And in Acts chapter 5, what God does is he gives us a very strong warning. And the warning is, hypocrites, beware. Now, God warns those He loves. He seeks us to turn away from things that are harmful to us. Hypocrisy is one of those things. Now, don't get the idea that hypocrisy only takes place in the church. There's hypocrisy in every profession. And the reason why we know this is because all we have to do is look at the news. And when we look at the news, we follow stories about a uh, uh, driver's education instructor who was ticketed and put in jail for DUI. Uh, There's been a story reported of a fire inspector's home who burned to the ground, and when the insurance uh, company came out, the investigators came out to his home, they discovered that he had no smoke detectors in his home. 
And then, of course, in our own local news, we noticed that it wasn't too long ago that a Nashville judge was convicted for soliciting sexual favors from one of the prostitutes who had appeared in this court. So don't get the idea that hypocrisy only takes place in the church. There's hypocrisy in every profession. And I say that because we can't seal the doors and windows of this church tight enough to keep hypocrisy from finding its way within these walls. Hypocrisy is all around us. Now, hypocrisy is defined, and I got this from the Free Dictionary online, as the practice of professing standards, beliefs, etc., that are contrary to one's real character or behavior, especially the pretense of virtue or piety. Now, the original word, hypocrisy, came to us from ancient Greek theater. And it was a word that was used, hypocrites, was a word that was used to describe those actors in Greek theater who would take on a mask, wear a mask, to assume the role of another individual or another thing. And it wasn't long after that that the word hypocrites came to be associated with any person who pretended to be something or someone that they're not. Hypocrisy in the life of a Christian slows down the advance of the church. It brings reproach to the name of Christ. And it tarnishes the reputation of any individual. And in Acts chapter 5, hypocrisy reared its ugly head. And so this morning, God's warning to us comes through another voice known from the Andy Griffith Show, Deputy Barney Fife, who said, what do you do with hypocrisy? And Barney would say, nip it, nip it in the bud. And that's what we have to do with hypocrisy. Whenever hypocrisy is found in our lives, what we have to do is we have to stomp it out. Stomping out hypocrisy requires constant vigilance. And so follow along with me in God's Word as we begin the reading in Acts chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Now, a man named Ananias, with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you have planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to people, but to God. And when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and great fear came on all those who heard. 
You think? The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. Now, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to, look at these words, to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. Let's pray. Father, we come to do this morning what we find difficult to do. And that is to look at ourselves and see what you see. Because I know from personal experience how easy it is to look at the log in my brother or my sister's eye, the speck in their eye, and and fail to see the log that's in my own eye. And I don't think that makes me unique this morning, Lord. I think we all have that problem. We've got 20-20 vision when it comes to seeing the problems of others. And oftentimes we're blind to those things in ourselves which need to be dealt with. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to do a deep work inside of each of us this morning that would honor yourself and would advance the cause of Christ here and around the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Luke, in the book of Acts, records the advance of the gospel through the first Christians. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the Christians in Jerusalem proclaimed the gospel, were validated by God's miracles, and found favor with all the people in the city. A mighty movement of God swept through the city of Jerusalem, and we're in a series called It's Your Move. We know what God did through this church in the first century. We've been following it. We've been watching it. And now we're up. What God did in this church in the first century through the filling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, He desires to do in believers today. The church was growing exponentially. And then, cover your ears, bam! They hit a speed bump. And the speed bump was hypocrisy. 
Now is then hypocrisy has to be dealt with immediately. And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at our text. And I want us to examine some characteristics of hypocrisy so that we can eradicate them in our own lives. First of all, we notice as we read through our text that hypocrisy may be motivated by a desire to impress others. Go back and read verses 1 and 2 and notice what it says there. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, we noticed last week that in Acts chapter 4, what happened was there were believers in Christ who were selling property. They were selling lands. And they were selling their homes. And then they were bringing their proceeds and they were bringing them to the church. And we saw this phrase, at the apostles' feet. The apostles were standing in the midst of the church. And so what they were doing was they were expressing their care through the local church. They brought their gifts, they laid their gifts, and then they lost their identity with the gift. They said, here it is, you use it as you see there is a need. Now we followed that story in Acts chapter 4, and we noticed that in Acts chapter 4, that there was a man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who sold a piece of land, and he came and he brought it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And his generosity was inspirational to the church. In fact, this man distinguished himself in his generosity to such an extent that the apostles themselves actually gave him a different name there on the spot. Instead of being called Joseph, they gave him the name Barnabas. And that fourth chapter tells us the word Barnabas means son of encouragement. And we followed this man's life. He actually lives out his name. He's an encourager later to the Apostle Paul. He's an encourager to John Mark. I mean, everywhere you read about Barnabas, he's an encourager to other believers. Now, Ananias and Sapphira are two Christians. And they've witnessed this Tremendous uh, accolade that Barnabas has received from the apostles. And so when Ananias and Sapphira saw the praise the apostles heaped on Barnabas, the couple evidently was moved to the point that they conspired together to do the same, but they decided to do it in a deceptive way. They gave the appearance that they were being more generous than they actually were. And what was their sin? Their sin was that they wanted others to think of them in the same way they thought of Barnabas. While on earth, Jesus repeatedly spoke to his disciples and he warned them of the ever-present danger of hypocrisy. In Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there with me, in Matthew 6, I want to just read for you the first six verses there. I want you to notice what Jesus is saying. He says in Matthew 6 verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor... 
don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that we are not to pray in public? Jesus is warning us against Academy Award religion. Putting on a performance before others in order to impress them with who we are. Jesus never gives false warnings. He recognized there lies within every one of us this desire to put ourselves in a positive light before others. The late Glenn Weekly was a friend of mine. He was pastor of First Baptist Church Hendersonville. I remember him telling the story about a lady who was on her way to make a very important sales pitch and Of course, she wanted to present herself as highly successful. And uh, she stopped on her way to the appointment, drove through the McDonald's drive-thru and bought a cup of coffee and then poured it into a Starbucks cup (laughs) before she walked into the office to make her presentation. Hypocrisy may be motivated by a desire to impress others. But notice, secondly, that hypocrisy is living a lie. Verses 3 and 4, going back to our text in Acts chapter 5, we read there that Peter interjects. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the proceeds of the land. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to people, but to God. Ananias and Sapphira assumed that they were merely lying to men. And Peter pointed out to them that they were not lying to men, they were lying to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ever-present in His church and in His people. Peter's question, after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal, implies that there would not have been a sin for Ananias and Sapphira to keep some of the money for themselves and give only part of it to the church, their sin lay in their deep deception. They ignored the conviction 
of the Holy Spirit. Well, how did they do that? What do you mean they ignored the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Where do you get that? Well, if there's one thing that we have seen for certain as in our study of the book of Acts, it's that we have seen that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we receive salvation, and at that very moment, or up to that moment leading up to our profession of faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one who's at work, tugging at our heart, drawing us to God. And then the Holy Spirit comes into our life when we profess faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what gives us the faith to believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. Now repeatedly in the scripture, Titus 1 verse 2, other places, Old Testament, the Bible declares that one of the characteristics of Jesus and of God is that God cannot lie. Now if God dwells within you and me, and God cannot lie, then any time you or I tell a lie, the Holy Spirit's going to convict us of that lie. Since the God who cannot lie lives in us, He will accept nothing less than the truth from us. I don't know, I... I made a little checklist for myself as I was reading through this. You know, it's always good for the pastor to practice what he preaches. And in that process of trying to do that, I wrote out some questions for myself. Do I really mean what I pray? Do I sing to God sincerely or routinely? Do I talk about the importance of sharing the gospel but keep it to myself? Have I made any commitments to God or others that I have not kept? Now you could add to that list of questions. You may want to use some of those for yourself. But the reality is, friends, the greatest deception is self-deception. Sometimes the best thing you and I can do is look at ourselves in the mirror and just confess to God, Father, I'm a liar. And I repent. Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote, Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle that fits all of them. Now, what is the antidote for lying? Well, the antidote for lying is integrity. And you'll notice with that word integrity, that integrity is defined, according to Merriam-Webster, as the quality of being honest and fair, the state of being complete or whole. Uh, Noticing that last part of that definition tells us that the word integrity and integer are derivatives of the same root word. Now, in mathematics, we learn that an integer is a whole number. 
It's one. It's five. It's eight. It's 13. It's 64. It is not pi. 3.14. That's a fraction. A whole number. And so what integrity is, is when my mind, my body, my spirit, my soul are whole or in agreement with one another. It's when what I say and what I do are the same thing. That's what it means to be a whole person. There's, there's no division in my character. I've stated this before, but if you've heard it before, hang in there with me. I'd like to hear it again myself. <laughs> there are three sources of information about each one of us. There's what others believe to be true of us. There's what we lead others to believe to be true of us. And there's what God knows to be true of us. Integrity is when all three of those sources agree with one another. Hypocrisy is telling a lie. And the third thing that we learn from our text is that hypocrisy is eventually exposed. Reading on in Acts chapter 5, going back to that fourth verse, we see in the fourth verse that Peter is speaking with Ananias and he says, Wasn't it yours while you possessed it and after it was sold? Wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to people, but to God. John the Apostle wrote in his first letter that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light that the way to have fellowship with Jesus is for us to live a life of integrity before him to let the light of Jesus shine upon us to expose us for what we really are and then to walk in that light of what God reveals to us about ourselves and who we are and what we are and what we stand for. And the motive relates to that which Jesus spoke. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, we call Acts part two. We call the gospel of Luke part one. In part one of his writing for Theophilus, he says in Luke chapter 12 verses two and three, that seeing the masses, Jesus pulled his disciples aside and he said to them, there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you've whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. It's been said you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool all of the people some of the time. But you can't fool all of the people all the time. 
Folks, you can't fool God anytime. Whether or not somebody else knows we're telling the truth, God always knows. Eventually, the truth's going to be uncovered. Hypocrisy is eventually exposed. Now, when my wife was a student at Arcadia High School in the metropolis of Arcadia, Louisiana, along I-20, the north part, you've heard of Acadia, that's in south Louisiana. She's from Arcadia in the northern part of Louisiana. When she was in high school, she took a typing class with Miss Selma Weaver. Miss Selma Weaver was well-liked by students. They felt rather comfortable around her, and every now and again, Miss Selma Weaver would hear some students talking about some mischief they were going to get into over the weekend. And Julie says, still ringing in her ears are the words of Miss Selma Weaver, who said, what's done in the dark will always come to light. Now, that's not just some homespun wisdom. That's a biblical truth. We think we're doing something in the dark. And God says everything we do is exposed. Hypocrisy is eventually exposed. But I want you to notice next that hypocrisy has consequences. Verses 5 and 6 tells us that Ananias, because of his hypocrisy, he died. Acts chapter 5 verse 5 says that great fear came on all who heard the news. The people in that first church learned that one of the consequences of hypocrisy is death. Now, we could cull out this pulpit in this sanctuary pretty quick if that were still in play today, right? What the Bible tells us is that great fear filled the people. It tells us that they were convinced of the seriousness of hypocrisy. Remember, the church is in its infant stage. The church is moving along because believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're walking lockstep with the Spirit of God. They're finding favor with all the people. The gospel is unrestrained, unchecked. Jesus has given them the great commission. Go ye therefore and preach to all nations. You will be my witnesses where in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit is fulfilling this which Jesus has commanded them to do. And there were consequences for hypocrisy. Fear extended beyond those present to all who heard about this divine judgment. The Apostle Paul spoke of the same consequence. Writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul wrote, This is why many are sick and ill among you, 
and many have fallen asleep. And look at this phrase. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. Hypocrisy can lead to physical death. And those are not my words, that's what the Bible says. But if it doesn't lead to physical death, it certainly can lead to the death of a relationship. It certainly can lead to the death of a reputation. The sobering truth of Galatians 6, 7, and 8 should put the fear in God of every one of us. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from his flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Wonderful good news for us this morning. Remember, God warns us of things that are harmful to us. Hypocrisy is one of those things that's harmful. The wonderful good news is God's warnings and God's reproof, correction, are redemptive in nature. If you are a child of God, I want you to understand something this morning. God doesn't punish us to pay us back. He punishes to win us back. But if we're stiff-necked, if we bow our back, and we ignore God's warning, then God says, be sure you're going to reap the consequences. I want you to notice with me lastly that hypocrisy impacts those around us. Going back and revisiting the story in Acts chapter 5, we read in that 7th chapter about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? And she said, yes, for that price. That's the same price Ananias had lied about. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? I called that out to you a little bit earlier. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. We're talking about a Christian couple. We're not talking here about unbelievers. We're talking about believers here who were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and whom the Holy Spirit dealt with directly. The deception of Ananias and Sapphira, more specifically, Sapphira's lie to Peter, was what the Bible calls a test of the Spirit. 
And what that is, is that is a powerful indication of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And also in the life of God's leaders in the church. Now the Apostle Peter was a mere man, but he was God's man. He was appointed to lead this fellowship of believers. But beyond that, we know from reading Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, that Jesus revealed himself to John on the Isle of Patmos, and when he did, it featured Jesus standing in the midst of his people and his local assemblies on earth, enjoying communion and fellowship with them. We live in a difficult time. I'm not saying it's any more difficult than maybe they even had during the days of the Roman Caesars. But we certainly have our challenges. There are conflicting ideas about right and wrong. In fact, one would wonder who even decides what's right or wrong, or is that even a question or issue anymore? I mean, how did we get here? (laughs) Let me remind you, it happened on our watch. You see, we live in a society that focuses on individual rights. And there are a large number of people, maybe some within online here listening to this message this morning. There are a large number of people who hold the opinion that we should be allowed to do whatever we want, and as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, what's wrong with it? The problem with that opinion is that it's founded upon a faulty premise. No one sins in a vacuum. When a Christian sins, not uh, not only affects us individually, but it also affects our relationship with God. It impacts those around us. It impedes the advance of the gospel. It brings reproach to the name of Jesus. It tarnishes the image others have of Christ and the church. It's not just us. No one sins in a vacuum. Some of you may recognize the name John Piper for... Many decades, pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Piper wrote an article that I want to share at least part of the article with you and at some points maybe read some of the article to you. He, he spoke about the benefit of having a few people in our lives with whom we give permission to help keep us on the right path. And Piper writes, and, and I quote, When we choose to confess our sin to each other, we're saying, I know what God says about this, and I know I've gone against Him in this area. But it's not enough to just open up and say, here's what I've been doing, and I feel really bad about it. Books, articles, and social media are full of these kinds of confessions. And he continues. It's becoming easier and easier for many of us to confess things on social media to strangers 
than it is to be open with close friends or family. The reassurance we get from online acquaintances comes in the form of, oh, I do the same thing. Or maybe, it's okay, no one's perfect. And then I like what he said here. He said, that's far more palatable than sitting down and having a difficult face-to-face conversation with someone we see regularly who knows us. A stranger reading our words on a screen is not going to join us in waging war against temptation, which is exactly what we need. And then he concludes with this. Each week I gather with a handful of friends to study the Bible and pray together. And confession of sin has become a part of our routine. And it consistently leads to joy. When we join forces with three or four other men, women with women, or three or four other men, men with men, to hold each other accountable is so we can open up and be real. I don't know how many of you feel this way, but don't you just get exhausted trying to pretend to be something you know you're not? I mean, that's a tough road to hoe. And and many of us are just content with that as if, well, that's what I've learned in church. That's what you do. We all know there's plenty of stuff we talk about, we preach about, we hear about, we say amen to church. And then in our personal lives, there are all kinds of discrepancies. Well, I just want to tell you something. You will never be a part of a discipleship group unless you reach the point where I came and I had to make two confessions. Are you ready? These are worth writing down. The first confession was... I don't trust myself. A lot of us are just far too trusting with ourselves. When we know we have proven time and time again when given the right set of circumstances, we will make compromises. We will yield to that temptation and then we will show up in church and we will say, Amen, when they say that's wrong. And then we'll just dismiss it in our lives. We'll just glaze over it and continue to act as if nothing's wrong. The second thing I had to confess was this. I'm tired of pretending. And I'm going to tell you, if you're here this morning, you'll never be a part of a discipleship group. I don't think, until you're willing to make those two confessions. I don't trust myself. I'm tired of pretending. And let me tell you what you're going to find out. You're going to find out how refreshing it is to be around some other people and just let it all hang out. 
And what you're going to find is those people are not going to say, well, that's okay. We all do it. Nobody's perfect. What those people are going to do is they're going to say, I understand, but I love you too much to let you get away with it. I mean, what are some of those kinds of tough questions? I'll just share with you a few. I'm in a discipleship group now. Four other men in my group. Have you spent time in the Word and prayer this week? Now that's a softball. Have you shared the gospel or your testimony with an unbeliever this week? Have you spent quality time with your family this week? Have you viewed anything immoral this week? Have you had any lustful thoughts or tempting attitudes this week? Have you told any half-truths to put yourself in a positive light before any others? (laughs) And the always convicting, have you lied about any of your answers today? When we deal with hypocrisy in our own lives, you know what's going to happen? Fellowship with God's going to be restored. Fellowship with one another is going to be all the more sweet. The Spirit of God's going to be able to be free to work in and through our witness again. And what's going to happen in our church, in our time, is what we read happened in that first church. The church hit a speed bump. The speed bump was hypocrisy. And when they dealt with hypocrisy, I want you to look with me and notice what it says happened in Acts chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Luke reports, the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers. Multitudes of both men and women. That's what happened when they dealt with hypocrisy. And now, it's your move. Let's pray. You know, I know in this room, I'm speaking to someone, and I just want to ask the question, are you weary from a life of pretending everything's okay? Because the first step toward healing and authenticity is to admit things are not okay. But I want to say to you also this morning that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. In fact, if that describes you, you've come to the right place. This is a room full of people 
who have admitted we're not okay. And we've come to Jesus for the solution. And I want to invite you to come to Christ today. To say to him, Lord Jesus, you know the truth about me. I know the truth about me. And God, it's ugly. I'm just tired of pretending. I want to lay down my defenses and take a deep sigh of relief that comes from knowing, man, I just have laid everything out before God. I don't have anything to hide. I just want to tell you, if you're willing to do that today, then what's in store for you is you're going to be able to to breathe a sigh of relief and experience a joy that you've never experienced before. Just say to Jesus, Jesus, I know I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come in and save me. If you're a believer, just say, God, you know that I am a liar and I repent. And today could be the day of victory for you if you would just say, Lord, I'm coming clean, coming coming in, just opening all of the closets where I've thrown all those extra things and just stuffed them in the back of the closet. Lord, that closet door is open. I'm, I'm doing spring cleaning in December. Holy Spirit, have your way in my life today. May you be honored in the way that we respond to you. And Father, our desires for people to come to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name, the only name that is worthy of praise. Amen.